Hello and welcome to our November Publications Podcast. I'm Ed Vital from the University of Leeds and Chair of the Lupus Forum. And this month, I'm delighted to be joined by my colleague, Professor Vivica Strand, who's an adjunct clinical professor of immunology and rheumatology at Stanford University School of Medicine in Palo Alto, California. Hi. Hi there. Nice to see you, Ed. Nice to see you again. Um, so we've chosen four papers that came out in the last month, um, uh, a range of topics again, mostly about therapeutics. Um, I had a look at the first one of those, um, which is this paper on the new update to the EULA recommendations for the management of SLE. So this one, we've actually done a separate podcast on with the lead author, Dimitrios Bumpas, to go through each of the recommendations in detail, which is worth a look. But just to briefly uh, summarise this one here, um, Eula published re recommendations for management of lupus in, not that long ago, in 2019. Um, but we started to think after only about a couple of years later that things were starting to change. Um, so there was an, a new license for belimumab in nephritis rather than just non-renal lupus. There was anephrolimab, there was voxlosporin. There were a few other bits of evidence of the non-targeted therapies coming out as well. So there's a bit of a feeling that we need to do an update. This one, it wasn't a complete update on everything. So some aspects like how to make the diagnosis, delivering care, all these supportive treatments, things like that, weren't. Re revised it's just about the treatments um but otherwise it was still a pretty rigorous process so the way these task forces usually work is steering committee gets assembled um in this case they tried to make a bit more global representation rather than just european which i think was a good move um then you set some picos i.e., your questions you're going to try and address there's a literature review which is a big process there's a research fellow employed and it, it takes a lot of time and then um once the literature review has been done recommendations are drafted and voted on to get to these final recommendations so um i thought there were a couple of things here on the non-renal part of this worth um pointing out that have changed there's still a, a recommendation to try and treat to target um, and for that target to be remission or if remission, remission can't be achieved, then low disease activity. So those are SLEDI of zero, SLEDI four, respectively. The prednisolone target's gone down. So it was 7.5 and now it's been lowered to five. This was a bit, there was a little bit of debate about this one on the task force because some of us thought the target should be zero. And you should only use five if you really have to. Whereas others thought there have been some recent studies showing you can't you do increase flares if you taper down that last five. So there's a bit of debate. The wording kind of says withdraw if possible, otherwise, no more than five for long term. And then um we've got hydroxychloroquine and glucocorticoids as required across mild, moderate, severe disease, all lines of therapy. But um You've got these recommendations then for mild first line, second line, moderate first line, second line, a severe first line, second line. And 
Bellemi map and Anafrolia map are placed quite prominently. So there's, there's, no, there's no real requirement to fail other therapies for the mild disease suggested to use hydroxychloroquine first then those biologics are indicated after that for the moderate disease and the severe disease belimumab and anafrolimab are coming in as first line treatment options and then slightly lower grades of evidence for methotrexate azathioprine mycophenolate cnis as as they were in the, the previous guideline another thing that if you look not on this figure but if you look at the guideline itself that's different is that because most of the evidence in the new trials is on skin and joint disease or or on nephritis, if it's a nephritis trial, that does mean that when you get to manifestations like neuropsychiatric or hematologic, there's still um, an emphasis on drugs like mycophenolate, rituximab, cyclophosphamide, because the, 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 the history of use of those and the experience is greater. There was another RCT of mycophenolate that came out in the last couple of years as well. Um, so those were the those were the main things I, I thought were the key differences. There is also, I know this is on the next paper we're going to discuss, there is also re recommendations on nephritis drugs. Um, and in, in the nephritis drugs, there's basically there's now six different treatment options. Um, so if I can think about them, it's each each with glucocorticoids and antimalarials. There's mycophenolate, urolupus dose cyclophosphamide, NIH dose cyclophosphamide, mycophenolate and bulimumab, cyclophosphamide and bulimumab, or mycophenolate and voxlosporin. That's it. So all six of them. And but the thing is, not and, much and, and cal calcineurin inhibitors, which are used very oh, broadly in Europe. So the guideline says voxlosporin or other calcineurin inhibitors. That's true. That's yeah, true. there's yeah. there's still some a lot of interest in using calcineurin inhibitors yes. throughout oh, Asia. Yeah. That's right. And Correct. although we now have voxlosporin in a randomized trial as outlined in this uh, paper, you know, it, we, we don't have any data to really know whether that data could be relevant to another calcineurin inhibitor. Yeah. And we do think that baclosporin is more unique and that it has some benefit on podocytes, which I'm not clear is shared by the other calcineurin inhibitors. What's interesting about this paper is pointing out that we have the one trial with belimumab, and then we have the two trials, phase two and phase three with baclosporin. But when you look at the data, what you really see is that, yes, there's statistical differences and they were, they were successful trials, but the differences between the background therapy placebo, quote unquote, which was mycophenolate, uh, and or in the belimumab trials, but was only mycophenolate in the baclosporin trials, we see the differences are relatively small. Mm. And we, meaning that they had to be large studies. We also noticed that the delta and the GFR, we really only see an increase in GFR with belimumab. With baclosporin, we see stabilization. Now, the question really is, Perhaps there were more severe patients in the Vaclosporin study. We also know that that uh, patients with class five did not respond to belimumab therapy. Mm. So there really are differences 
in terms of using either of these two therapies. But the real question I think is, when do you use which one? Now, patients may already be on valimumab, so that already makes that choice a little bit less imperative. Um, but the other part of it is, are people really thinking that if you've got more severe or more rapid progressive um, GN, are you thinking baclosporin instead? And are you thinking more like the nephrologist? And of course, they're still using a fair amount of cytoxan, which we like to we like to avoid if we can. Yeah. So this is an interesting paper. Yes, they're promising new candidates, but I think what we're looking forward to are data with anafrolimab in a in a uh, more uh, effective dose, a higher dose. We're looking for the obinutuzumab phase three data. And it would be nice to see some complement inhibitors, such as a vacopan studied in lupus. Uh, what do you think, Ed? That's that's right, isn't it? So the, the way how to choose between these drugs isn't all that clear. One of the issues I have with these comparisons is that um, you're we're looking here, when we look at the endpoints and the response measures, we're looking at proteinuria, aren't we? And Yes, it's not an idea. It, it's not, it's not the outcome that's really. It's kind of a surrogate. No. What we're really interested in, which is long term renal failure, um, uh, uh, but that takes a very long time to be able to observe. So we're sort of at the moment we're stuck with proteinuria, and it, we don't know if it's really telling us, you know, whether whether all of these differences in proteinuria and GFR based responses will also translate into the same types of differences in longer term outcomes. True, true. I think there's a real limitation in using the protein creatinine ratio. And there's a big push now for rebiopsying. Yeah. Even even when responses are evident that we consider a rebiopsy even at three or six months uh, to understand what's what's actually going on in kidneys. Yeah, it'll be useful when we see the results of those trials. There's several underway. Yeah, that's that's right. Uh, and another point, I guess, that came up in the discussion of the EULAR recommendations is that current in in currently in the EULAR recommendations, like I said, there's six options. So you've still got a recommendation that you could use mycophenolate on its own, for example. And I look at a table like the one in front of us, I think, well, there's two phase three studies there showing that combining mycophenolate with one of these other drugs is superior. So should it still be a recommendation that mycophenolate yeah. on its own is a standard yeah. therapy? Or should that really be only if you can't, you know, you should give the, the best proven treatment in phase three studies if you can, if, you, if, if it's not possible for some reason, then okay. I think you've got a very good point. I mean, to be fair, mycophenolate was adopted, but it was never positive in trials per se. Yeah. Certainly there there were data to support its efficacy, but it they weren't successful trials per se. So yeah. I think uh, I think it's an important point since we use them anyway as background therapy to spare steroids. So most patients have already received these therapies. And they're developing nephritis. Clearly, they need another agent. Uh, and also, as as you 
put on the slide there is yeah it's going to change again uh so obinia 2 is a map i'm guessing it's going to be the first one that's going to come with a phase three trial outcome but uh um and then you'll have more choices but we'll also the other thing that some people talk about is whether you actually start having four or five drug regimens um yes especially with all the polypharmacy that lupus patients are taking anyway yeah yeah so you might say mycophenolate calcineurin inhibitor and a b cell depleting drug and an anti-malarial and steroids and then taper it all down to one drug over time yeah yeah okay well i think yes. one thing about the the new ular recommendations is that as they did in 2019, it was a very detailed background review, and it's very helpful from that point of view. It's an amazing resource, actually, yeah, to have all that, to have all that evidence. Um, the next one was a review article, uh, and it's a really useful review article, um, because we keep talking about trials in SLA, but as you get more drugs, you get a bit of this debate about whether skin disease in SLA and skin disease on its own, or CLE, are the same thing. Are they different diseases and they different trials? And that we're getting quite a lot. So it, 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 I think there is a bit of overlap between I, the two. Yeah. But, um, but I, there's I, some I, I think the dermatologists are very clear that CLE, DLE is really different. From yeah. lupus. I mean, the DL and, uh, is, they, isn't it? But it, how it behaves even, and... Yeah. Right. The and trials so, are even even reviewed by US FDA in different divisions. So the CLE, DLE ones are reviewed by the derm division uh, and not the rheumatology transplant division. And there's a big question also whether the derm division is happy to use the CLASI. As a matter of fact, so far they have not been accepting of the CLASI and they want an investigator global assessment just as is used in psoriasis. Yeah. Which is, is kind of surprising because the CLASI has been well validated and it's a much more detailed outcome measure. That's my experience too, is that when I use the, the CLASI, I mean, yes, you can you can probably find some limitations to it. But on the whole, I find that it, when I do a CLASI, it really helps. I'm a rheumatologist, not a dermatologist, and it really helps guide me how to look at the skin. So what it tells you what to look for, look at the level of erythema, look at the scale, look at the scarring, um, separate them all out and how to look at different body areas. I think it, it really does help you have a systematic approach and it seems to function very well in trials whereas i feel this investigator global assessment leaves you with a lot more subjective decisions that you that's can true that's true and we really don't know what one person's iga is to another person's iga yeah so i'm and you could have we've always felt that problem was causing an awful lot of hassle and it's how do you yeah. score that? Do you score it very highly because where its location is and the scarring it's causing or something is causing a big problem? Or do you rate it a bit lower because of the amount of inflammation is not as high as the next? You know, there's you get these these dilemmas. Um, so the 
So anyway, there are lots. The thing, I mean, the thing is, is there are now lots of dedicated CLE trials. Some of them are the same drugs that are used in SLE. Um, some of them are drugs just for CLE. But we are getting these dedicated trials, and I think that will help, especially with drugs for people with discoid and putting them into dermatology clinics as well as rheumatology clinics. But the other thing that's really striking here, an like emerging trend, I think, is if you look at the table on the slide, we've got well, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight drugs there, and seven of them are in innate immunity. The only one that's True. not is abertamide, which abertamide, this cerebellum modulator, has kind of lymphocyte effects. Um, but all the others are on like toll-like receptors, like sensing nucleic acids, which stimulates interferon, or blocking interferon itself with anephrolimab right. or right. lipilimab that try, tries to block interferon, or the JAK1-2 inhibitors that try to stop the signaling of interferon. So you're starting to get this completely different family of drugs in CLE from what you probably would have, what we've been used to, particularly in nephritis, but also in other other manifestations of lupus. Yes, I think that's very interesting. And it says something too, because I think we know that those patients we treat who have interferon high signature, if we've checked it, we often see that their improvements are manifest in terms of their skin. Yeah, exactly. And so that makes that makes a great deal of sense. And, and some of these effects, some of the experience suggests that these effects of cutaneous disease can be quite dramatic. Um, so if you, the the Ducravacitinib phase two study that's out, maybe it's because the class is a good outcome measure. Maybe it's because Ducravacitinib is a good drug, or maybe it's a combination of two and a bit of luck. But um, there's a delta between placebo and one of the dose groups of like 50% difference. In yes, pain. no, it's large. But yeah. this wasn't DLE or CLE. It was yeah. still lupus. In SLE patients. And a subgroup, yeah. and a subgroup that had the classy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but they, 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 my experience with anaphrolimab in the clinic is that there can be some quite dramatic effect sizes seen. So I think that, that yes, is, I agree. I it's agree. right that this innate class of drugs is the most useful one for when you when it comes to the skin only disease, as well as other manifestations as well, of course. Which is probably a good point to move on to the the last paper that we looked at. Yeah, so this is real world data in anaphrolimab the small series of 45 patients. I think what's important here is that it essentially says that anaphrolimab is effective uh, in real world use. You can see that uh, a, a subgroup of patients achieved LL-DAS. You can also see that the majority of patients did not, uh, but there were relatively few minor flares and so this would be consistent with the efficacy we've seen of anaphrolimab in phase three. Uh, but we need real world data for the kinds of things that we aren't able to answer in, in randomized controlled trials. Yeah. CNS and uh, other manifestations, hematologic of lupus. Also, you know, we need better data in patients who've got not just nephritis, but also active lupus. And so real world data can be very, very useful, but we need it to be 
in those patients that we aren't able to enroll in trials. Yeah. And I don't know how you set up a series such as that, but that's that's what we should be requesting. I agree. That's that's I mean, that's that was my thought here as well, which is that the when I talk to when I give presentations about an Ephrolumab, most of the questions the audience ask me are along the lines you say a difficult a patient with an a complicated comorbidity or an overlap autoimmune disease very young very old um or a rare rarer feature of lupus or perhaps a particular response to prior therapies all these situations that are harder to get out of trials um and that's i, I mean it's always the fascinating time with a new drug when people start reporting things like that um interesting things they've observed in the clinic and that's that's how we learn um but it's also it's, it's also interesting as whether you could design trials a bit differently to to include more of those patients actually um, it'd be nice if we could so this one is kind of reassuring but maybe not still not to me not quite the really new information that but uh that we, we don't want. I, I mean, I'd agree. It basically said, well, um, patients could taper their glucocorticoids and still achieve LLDAS. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, that's our last paper. So that's all we've got time for today. So uh, thank you for joining me, Vivica. It's great to have your opinions on the latest in lupus management, as always. Well, fun discussing with you, as always. And these were good papers. Uh, and thanks everyone for listening. So as always, you can get these slides online to use them yourself for your journal clubs or your teaching. So there's full slide decks of the Phanariakis and Lim papers and single slide summaries of the other two papers, uh, which are at lupus-forum.com. Uh, free to download, all the contents free to access. Um, and don't forget to register for updates on the Lupus Forum. You get an email when there's new content made available. And you can also see that if you follow us on uh, Lupus Forum on Twitter or LinkedIn. Thanks again and see you next time. Bye-bye.